listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. Ways. I'm going to ask you to turn your Bibles to Titus, Titus chapter 1. The ushers are going to come forward. They have extra Bibles, and these are Bibles that if you don't have one at home, we would love for you to take that home with you, and we would love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in your hand. Perhaps you forgot it today, and we would just love for you still to be able to not only hear the Word, but see the Word. Just raise your hand, and they'll uh, lend you one of those Bibles, or if you don't have one at home, it is a gift for you um, from the Lord. He would love nothing more to see His people in the Word of God and to see uh, us people who read his word and allow God's word to be the foundation in our lives. So Titus chapter 1, we'll be looking at that in just a couple of moments. Charlotte and I, my wife Charlotte and I, left early last Monday morning and returned late Wednesday night. We were at a senior pastor's and wives retreat. Um, I think there's some pictures of that. uh, That uh, was up in the Muskoka area and that's about two and a half hours north of the Toronto airport. And so we jumped into a car and drove up there and it was very beautiful, very wet. They've had lots of rain and that lots of rain and wetness and humidity means lots of bugs. And so just uh, that's one of the issues that they get to fight with and deal with at times. But we went up there to be part of a uh, GCC or Great Commission Collective. That's the family of churches that we get to be a part of. And uh, we were up there for a senior pastors and wives retreat with some uh, amazing people. Such a blessing to be with such godly humble, God-dependent, authentic, real, like-minded pastors and their wives. Uh, guys who uh, have not got it all figured out yet because none of us do. But, but depending on the Lord and depending on deep, deepening relationships with one another. Exciting to see what God is doing in Canada and uh, in the lives of our pastors and, and in their families. And in fact, one of the senior pastors was excited because he was going to be baptizing his daughter today in a church in Ontario. And that is always an exciting time when there's no greater joy when you see your children walking with the Lord. And so he's pretty excited and pumped up today. And, uh, and so uh, in this group shot that you see there, there was 16 of the 18 Canadian churches represented there. A few had some good reasons why they weren't able to make it. And, uh, and it was just a wonderful time. And we're so thankful for the Great Commission Collective and, and, and their, the desire as a family of churches worldwide, but also here in Canada, to not just... Uh, care about church planting and be, a, be, be, be emphasizing and, and asking the Lord to, to plant churches locally in Canada and around this world, but, but, but to care more even for the health of the churches and the health of the pastors and health of the people in the church, knowing that, that, that healthy uh, things multiply. Uh, we hear that statement, but so do diseases. Uh, diseases can multiply, and so we want to say healthy things thrive, and we want to be healthy people. We want to be a healthy church, healthy leaders, and and to plant then other healthy gospel-centered churches locally and throughout our nation and around this world. And so this is what we desire to be um, a part of and to see God to do. Now that trip to Ontario, it was kind of there and back and dealing with the jet lag and and Raptors games and different things like that that were all going on. It it required four different flights that we had to take and and, uh, flying can be kind of fun except when you get delayed and and those four flights also meant four presentations, four fairly boring kind of systematic kind of, you know, blah, blah, blah kind of presentations at the the start of a flight. A part of me is like, why can't they just do this? It seems like they don't start pulling out of of, of the, you know, and get taxing 
until they've gone through this demonstration. And, and it's like, come on, let's get moving. And one of those flights, I, I kind of noticed, I was looking around, and I noticed that no one was paying attention. Absolutely no one that I could see. I was kind of scouting it out, and everyone, yeah, I mean, just no one was looking at the poor flight attendant who was desiring to tell us some potentially life-saving news. And, 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 and people were busy. People have heard it before, blah, blah, blah. Some people were sleeping already. Some people, as soon as they get in an airplane seat, they're like, boom, they're out. They're cold. Cold, not cold literally, but, you know, they're, they're asleep. Uh, that wouldn't be good if they were seriously cold and, and stiff, and, and that would be quite a surprise. But we, uh, anyways, that's a digression. So, so some were sleeping. I should have just said and left it there. Some were doing the last-minute texting or, or, or surfing or whatever it might be on, on, on their phones, you know, before they put them into airplane mode, or they don't. And uh, some trying to figure out how to, you know, what movies to watch uh, while the flight was going on. Some engaged in conversations. Others were reading. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. But no one was paying attention. And, and it's partly because we've heard it before. We think it's irrelevant. But all of a sudden, when your plane gets into trouble, everything that you've heard all of a sudden becomes very, very important and very relevant. Well, the passage we're looking at today may be, for some of you today, maybe a little bit blah, blah, blah. Uh, you know, like, really, does this really relate to me? Is this really all that important? Um, is it helpful for where I'm at today? And, and, and I'll be honest, this passage uh, may not be the most exciting or perhaps kind of seem irrelevant, especially perhaps with what's going on in your life even right now. Perhaps you are here today and, and, and the last thing you need to hear is a message about uh, looking out for false teachers. Uh, you don't need to hear about this. And instead, you're needing hope in life. You're needing hope in your marriage, in your personal life, in your finances, or in a battle or a struggle that you're in right now. A battle in, in the area of sin or, or, or a battle, a struggle to forgive someone with bitterness or discouragement or suffering. And, and, and that's what you need here today. And, and, and maybe you even feel that, that you're just barely even holding on spiritually. You're, you're just even wondering if this is all true and where it's going. Well, we're going to read about here in this text about some churches on a Greek island in the area of Crete. And we may be wondering, okay, how is this relevant to me today? And so this passage may seem a little bit like that airline safety uh, demonstration. You've got other things on your mind. You've got other things to do. You want to get in, get out, and enjoy Father's Day. Or go out, get in, get out, and go have a nap. Or get in, get out, and go and do whatever you go to the beach, whatever it might be. Yet, folks, this is an important message because if we are not informed, if we're not awakened or reawakened to some of these truths and challenged in these areas... We won't be the people, and this won't be a church that will be able to stand on the truth of God's word and experience his power and his blessing. You see, God's power and blessing isn't just automatic because you open your Bible. It happens when we are people of his word, desiring not only to hear it, but to live his word. And it involves taking the instructions, even in these areas we're talking about today, seriously. And, and so as we do, and as we're informed, challenged, and I trust even live out this passage today, or in the weeks or the months or the years ahead, which are sure to come, that we would be people who would stand solidly on the truth of God's word and be prepared for whatever this problem is. But because we are people of the word, we're also going to find the help and the strength and direction from, from God's word for the daily struggles and the battles and the issues that we're facing. That's just how, how amazing and wonderful our God is. 
And so Paul the Apostle was, was writing this letter to, to Titus, and, and he was desiring, and he was praying, and he was striving for a strong church in, 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 or on the island of Crete, not one that was floundering, not one that was adapting to culture, but one that would be strong, that would stand on truth, that would truly be able to minister in the power of the Spirit to the individuals because they were living as a biblical church and they were practicing biblical behavior. And so Paul was desiring this, and, and, and we see that in, in verse 5, if you look at verse 1. We covered this a few weeks ago, but, but this was a, a pretty key verse. This is, kind of sets up the book. It says, this is Paul writing to Titus. He says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained in order. You see, things weren't in order in these churches on the island. These were all new church plants that had started some years earlier, and they were scattered throughout the island, and they were meeting in homes. And, and the culture was a mess, morally and ethically, as we've talked about and as we'll see today. But also, too, because the culture was a mess, it meant the people were a mess, and, and, and the people were bringing this mess into the, into the church. And the Christians were not living always like Christians. Instead, the Christians were living like Cretans. And, and we're going to see what that means. And so easily we can de, be doing the same thing where we become people more reflecting that of the culture than that of a follower of Christ. And within the church then, even today, we see there can be a great amount of compromise within the walls of a church gathering, but also in the lives, in the homes of the people within the church walls. Big issue then, big issue today. And I believe that in so many ways that, that here in, in Canada, in North America, but specifically and very much in Canada, that, that some of our greatest struggles and trials and opposition that you and I will face isn't necessarily going to be from outside opposition. Oh, that's coming. But one of the greatest oppositions that we will face and are facing and some of you are facing and dealing with are from God's people who are compromising when it comes to the word of God. Either compromising and becoming so much like the world or compromising and allowing themselves to be deceived by another gospel or by a false teacher or by false teaching. And so what is the first order in business for this messed up people that Paul tells Titus to do? What's the first thing? The first thing he told them is appoint some elders. And we've talked about that. For two weeks, we talked, what does a biblical elder look like? What does a biblical elder, what are the qualifications of? What is the character? What is the character of an elder to be? And it was such a joy last Sunday to be able to then follow up in this, this message series at the end of the sermon and... and uh, and, and install our first elders here at this church. Continue to pray for them, pray for their families, pray that God would, would add others in God's time and, and, and God's appointment to, to join this important um, ministry and office within the church. Uh, but what is an elder to do? Well, look at verse nine. This is one of the key things that, that we covered a few weeks ago, but this sets up uh, our, our message today. In verse 9, it says, He must hold firmly to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So they are to, 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 to know and, and to have a working understanding of sound doctrine, but also be ready to confront, to rebuke those who are following in, in areas of false doctrine or false teaching. And so 
now we're going to get into the part where we're starting today in verse 10. And we start with the, with the first word you see, for. And that word for, you may want to underline that if you're underlining your Bible, because that's a hinge between verse 9 and into, into the role of an elder. And now we're getting into some, some uh, more interesting, specific guidelines for an elder. For, that hinge word, for there are many who are insubordinate. Empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And this testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and to the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Wow, those are some pretty sharp words that Paul is, is given to Titus. I wonder if at the end of it, like, you know, he's just kind of like, you know, just as he's writing this and, and on that scroll, he's just, uh, he's just, just on a roll as he's, as he's giving this. Now, these are words and instructions for elders, but again, I believe this is also for all of us as disciples, as we are folks that need to discern, that we are to be aware, that we are to be examining. We need to be examining our own lives, but we're also to examine what is infiltrating our lives, our small groups, our churches, our, um, the, the Christian community all around us. And so this morning, we're going to look at three truths, and you may want to write these down. Three truths that we must understand when dealing with and protecting ourselves and our church from false teachers and teaching. Because we don't want anyone deceived. If someone is deceived and they think that they're in Christ and they're truly not, they will be ultimately deceived and ultimately forever disappointed in going to an eternity that does not involve heaven, an eternity in hell. And so this is a serious thing that we desire for people to be sound and in the truth, not just close enough, but truly in the faith understanding, believing, responding, and living the gospel. And so the first reality, the first thing we see here, the first truth we must understand is the reality. And, and what's the reality? There are many false teachers. There are many false teachers around us. These teachers and teaching had risen in various degrees in the Cretan church and had these folks had become into a place of prominence and influence within the life of the church. And we see various types of false teachers that, that, that Paul kind of uh, gives to us here that we see in verse 10. We, we see some of their traits or characteristics, and, and, and you can write some of these down. First of all, there's the insubordinate. These are people who have their own agenda, not willing to submit to the authority of anyone. They won't respond to the authority of God's word. They won't respond to authority when it comes to leadership within the church or, or, or other Christian leaders. It's like, don't you dare tell me what to do. This is a riotous kind of an attitude. This is, don't tell me what I'm to do or believe. And when confronted with truth, their reaction is one of rebellion. These are folks that are not willing to be held accountable to anyone. But then we also see, Paul mentions empty talkers and deceivers. 
These are con- uh, what you could refer to, uh, I love the way I heard this this week, and, and it's kind of a sad, but it's a very uh, revealing kind of reality. These are cotton candy preachers. A lot of show, but not a lot of substance. It looks good, may smell good, may even taste good, but there's really not a lot there. And in the end, you find out, oh, this isn't very good for me. They can draw a crowd, they can say nice things, even mean well, have good hearts, but it's about giving people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. It's a lot of feel-good, feel-good messages, self-help, ways that you can conquer any giant in your life, living your best life here on this earth. Folks, if you were living our best life here, you're not going to heaven. Isn't that, isn't that just kind of a, a true statement? This, is, this can't be our best life. This won't be our best life. So let's forget the idea that, that everything in this life is going to be wonderful, perfect, and go according to plan. But instead, what it is doing is shaping us and is molding us and causing us a desperation to, to, to call out to Jesus and to look forward to another day, to that day where we will live our best life for eternity as God's children. Then there's another group that, that, they talk, that Paul talks about here. Those of the circumcision party, it says in the last part of verse 10. These are the legalists. Um, these people referred to as the circumcision party. Believe me, uh, this was no party. This was no fun time to be a part of, of this group. Uh, th- th- this was a group that oftentimes were also referred to as the Judaizers. So they were the circumcision party or the Ju- Judaizers. They believed that you, yes, you come to become a Christian, you come to faith in, in, in Jesus Christ be, through the work of Christ and understanding that, but to grow as a Christian or to be a true believer in Christ, you must follow certain Old Testament laws and covenants like that of circumcision as well as other codes of conduct in Jewish laws. These were the legalists that, that, that took careful note of what their life involved uh, with and, and the things that they would do as well as the lives of those around us. These were people who were adding to the gospel. And this sort of thing happens today so easily. This is the Jesus plus philosophy or theology. This is performance Christianity. Jesus plus good works. Good, if I live a certain lifestyle, if I don't do this and I don't do that, then God will be pleased with me. God isn't pleased with us on the basis of the things we do. He's pleased with us and we're his child because of the sacrifice of his son and for us making a commitment to him in that way and understanding Jesus as our, the one and only way. Christ alone is how we are saved. This Jesus plus performance just is never ending. It's an outward conformity to the rules and to the work rather than an inward change. These are folks in, in then and also today and we can so easily start to, to adapt this into our own life that somehow we can earn God's love. That God does his part, but I've got to do my part as well. But folks, listen up. The Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches that salvation, that authentic faith is a gift from God. It is by God's grace Through faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone that we are saved. And when we meet Jesus, when we understand the reality, when we repent of our sin, we give up our way, our agenda, and we turn, we make a turn and we say, I want to change, I desire to change, God help me to change. We're going, and and we run to a loving Savior who loves us and forgives us. He's not waiting for a better version of ourselves. He loves us just the way we are. 
And when we understand that and we receive by faith his forgiveness, his love, his grace, when we turn our lives over to him and we understand what he's done for us and dying on the cross for our sins, bearing the wrath that we so deserve, the wrath of God that our sin deserves, and that instead of wrath, instead of separation from God, we're brought into relationship, we're brought into cleansing and being forgiven, and one day can experience eternal life with him forever. And when that happens, we are given a new, new identity. When we entrust our lives to Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes in, we are forgiven of our sins, we are reconciled, we have the promise of eternal life, and we don't have to work for it. We don't have to work for our salvation. We live, we work, we sacrifice, we serve, we, we pursue holiness out of that new identity. It's not for that identity, it's because of that identity. And the Holy Spirit helps us and empowers us to do it. We become disgusted with our ways of sin. We want to turn from it and we get help. We have brothers and sisters holding us accountable. We are people of the word and as we are people in the word, as we're growing in the word of God, strength rises in our lives through the power of the Holy Spirit to fight off temptation, to fight off the lust, to fight off the covetousness, to, to help us to forgive, to help us to, to get rid of that bitterness. We can't do it on our own just by running harder, trying a little bit more, but through the power of the Spirit in our lives. And false teachers, these legalists say, do this so you will be saved. And I love this. Biblical Christianity says... Because you are saved, live this way. Live this way out of a love for God, not to try to earn or to gain his love. But then there's another group that we see that, that, that he highlights here, and, and I'm not fully sure if this is a word or not. Spellcheck had problems with it, so I, we just put it up anyways, and it's a word called culturalist. So these are people of the culture. In, in verse 12 it says, Cretans are, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. It was one of their own people who said this about them. This was one of their poets or philosophers uh, by the name of Epidemes who said these words about the people. And Paul says, yep, and it's all true. The, they were known for being just the best or maybe the worst of liars. They would just lie, lie, lie. Then it says also evil beasts. What do they mean evil beasts? These people are evil beasts. Well, we're dealing with a bit of an evil beast at our house right now. Um... We were away at the retreat, and all of a sudden one morning, I guess it was right around the time that our son Nate, who was home alone uh, with the cat for his protection, uh, was, was home alone, and all of a sudden we started getting these text messages from him, and, and, and he was like, oh, I was so scared, you wouldn't believe what happened. I was just waking up, and there was this rustling outside my, my window, and he has a patio door kind of in his bedroom. I don't, it's kind of weird, but that's the way we, we bought the house, and so he has his patio door, and he could hear this kind of rustling around and he was sure that somebody was trying to get into, our, our, into the house. And, and he says, I finally got brave and I thought, okay, I'm just going to open it up and see who's there. And, and just as nervous as could be, he takes and he opens the curtain and there face to face with a marmot. <laughs> and, he, and we laughed and said, Nate was scared of a marmot. You know, just all of that, like you wuss, you know, all of that sort of thing. Well, Friday night, Charlotte and I were home alone just having a nice little dinner, and uh, we saw this uh, nice little marmot uh, over by the shed, and he was on top of the trap that I have set for him. On top of it, like unbelievable, this evil beast on top of the trap. 
And I, I have a way of, um, you know, letting them sleep for a long time once they are caught. But, you know, anyways, dealing with this evil beast and the thing's on top and then it took off running. And so a little after we finished eating, I said, I'm going to go to the shed, get the lawnmower out and I'm gonna cut the grass. And as I was coming around the corner of the shed, that evil beast was on top of this plastic container and it jumped and I jumped and I took off and it took off. And I went inside the house, I said, Charlotte, just look at my arms, and they're all goosebumped still. You know, it was smoking hot outside, but I was just like all goosebumped because the thing scared me. So we had a, Nate wasn't the only wuss in our family. So, so yes, we have this. It, it, that's not the evil beast that Paul is talking about here. What he's talking about here, these evil beasts aren't some r- raging animal that, is, that are coming into church meetings. What he's talking about... People who are just living for the now. This is the sensual, sexual, kind of out of control, lust-filled appetites and passions. I'm going to pursue what I'm going to pursue. You're not going to tell me any different. I can be forgiven. I'm just going to keep on going. And he calls these people who are just living for themselves, evil beasts, and then also lazy gluttons. They feed themselves first. They sit around and they expect others to be able to minister and to, 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 to help them or, or to serve them rather than putting on the servant's role themselves. They're lazy gluttons. They're just concerned of their own welfare, the welfare of, of, of their own little group. A very me-first mentality. And you see, folks, corrupt cultures produces corrupt people, right? I mean, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure that out. Corrupt cultures produce corrupt people. And this kind of mindset was affecting the church then and can easily affect the church today. All of these different insubordinate, empty doctors, legalists, culturalists, we see this sort of thing happening in the life of the church. And and this is where Paul is saying, Titus, you stick to it. You don't give up on these people because the Holy Spirit can change anyone. You don't, they, they don't have to continue to keep living that way. They don't have to keep thinking that way. And I know the Holy Spirit can change anyone, because I'm looking at a room full of people that he is changing, is in that process of changing to become more like Christ. And there's some probably pretty wild, wicked stories that could, could flow out of our backgrounds and our doesn't With God, we're new creations. We're forgiven. We have a new identity and a new life, and we work and we serve and we live for God out of that identity. And Paul says in Romans 12, don't be conformed to the pattern of this world. Be different. Be conformed instead to the teaching of God's word and allow God's word to to reign in us so that we would become more and more like Christ. But so oftentimes we come up with an excuse, well, that's just the way I am. This is the way way my dad was, this is the way I am, this is the way my mom was, this is, you know, it's part of my, you know, I'm Scottish or I'm German or I'm, you know, uh, Yugoslavian or whatever it might be and we blame all these different things. No, in Christ we can be new creations. He changes us through the power of the Holy Spirit. He can change any human being. And so these were some of the influences that were affecting the church in Crete. Well, you might say, well, how does that work for us here today? I want to give you some practical ways or or practical, you know, sort of maybe hopefully somewhat insightful ways that these sort of realities can be functioning today in society, in churches, perhaps even in our own church. First of all, this first one wouldn't be, but um, take JWs and Mormons, for example. I mean, not only are they false teachers, they're, they're labeled as cults. They would fall under the insubordinate category. They're not just like us. 
And so some of you, if you're thinking that today, they are not. They are on a different team. They just don't do things a little bit differently and wear, some of them wear certain kind of underwear to kind of like, I mean, some weirdness that goes on in all of that. In fact, we got an invitation yesterday to Love Never Fails. The JWs are hosting this big conference coming on. Would we pray that the gods of this age would just not allow, uh, just wouldn't be able to run rampant in that convention, but instead that, 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 that God would be at work somehow in the lives of people there, the, the true God, the true Jesus Christ. And so we have JWs and Mormons, and, and, and they would fall into this insubordinate category, and, and they clearly deny God's word as authoritative. That's what insubordination means. They deny God's word. They deny the authority of God's word or the sufficiency of God's word. They preach and promote another or a different or a false gospel. They appeal to people, very appealing. I mean, what I read about some of the things that they're, they're teaching at this, discover how love can help you cope with adversity, unite your family, find supportive friends, become a better person, and draw close to God. Mm, sounds good. And they'll use a lot of scripture verses, but they're on a different team. They're insubordinate. They're teaching a different gospel. They use the same words, but they have very different meanings. JWs, apart from many other things, a key area is they deny the deity of Christ. They believe that Jesus was the archangel Michael who came, uh, came to this earth and became man, so they don't see him as God. They don't see him as the son of God. And they believe that through Jesus' death and your participation, your good works can save you. Well, on the surface, again, they will say and sound very much like evangelical Christians, but they are insubordinate to the authority and the teaching of God's word. Or take Mormons, for example, another example of that. They believe the Jesus of the Bible, well, sort of. They put on great Christmas productions. But they believe that Jesus was a half-brother half of Satan. Well, the Bible doesn't teach that. The Bible teaches he was... Part of the Godhead, second person of the Trinity. And when it comes to heaven, they believe that you can earn your way to heaven, and if you earn it really well by working really hard here on earth, you'll go up to the celestial heaven. And then there's little lower grades of heaven for you know, people who don't you know, quite pull their load or do enough, and that in the end, that basically everyone will end up in a lower form of heaven if they want to, be, if they want to go to heaven. No one really has to go to hell if they don't want to. Again, totally different teaching. On the surface, look good. Another thing that we see, we see a lot of empty talkers. We have a lot of cotton candy preachers and authors and podcasters and, and that. They say a lot of fluff. And over the last 30 years or so, this has been a great movement, a, a great, not in a good way, but a very massive movement where churches become big, big business. The market-driven church, the seeker, user-friendly, attractional churches, giving people what they want to hear, meeting their felt needs. And oftentimes ignoring the issue of sin, not calling people oftentimes, if ever, to repentance or to pursue a life of holiness. Instead, pursue your own dreams, your own plans, your own agenda, and their messages become more like self-help talks. They want to tell us the things that we want to hear, we like to hear, the things we can agree with and make us feel happy so we can leave church on a Sunday morning feeling blessed and, and joyful. This is what 
Spurgeon said, and if this was a problem back then, it definitely is a problem today. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, he said, everywhere there's apathy, nobody cares whether that which is preached is true or false. A sermon is a sermon, whatever the subject. Only the shorter it is, the better. Let's just get in, get out, say a few things, make me feel good, and I'm out of here. That was a problem then, it's a problem now. You need to understand, I love you too much to just tell you what you want to hear. I want to be able to proclaim to you what you need to hear. To the life that God calls us to live. To be able to hear from God's word, to press into his word and to allow holiness and and Christ-likeness to become strong pillars in our lives. Here's another dangerous kind of false teaching infiltrating the church today. It's a kind of a new age kind of form of spirituality, uh, promoting so-called ancient or Eastern mysticism kind of practices, and the church just takes and adopts that. Whether it's meditation exercises or listening prayer or centering prayer that involves people emptying their minds. Now, prayer is a good thing, and we encourage people to meditate on the Word of God, not to empty your mind when you meditate, but to fill your mind with the truth of God's Word. But what oftentimes happens in those who promote this, people claim to hear directly from God, and they want to convey the messages from God that God has given to them to you. I like this meme that, that I came across this past week. You have a word uh, from God for me? Thanks, but I already have Jesus. I don't need you to mediate between God and me. And, and, and we have the word of God. And, and we can, 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 can stand firmly on the word of God. But oftentimes what ends up happening is that this sort of teaching and, and, and belief is that God does communicate, these people believe that God does communicate through the Bible, but they want more. They want a fresh word. They want a higher word. But the problem is, is they are totally undermining the authority of Scripture. They're saying Scripture isn't enough. You need to have a word of God and you need to have this new word from God. And the sad thing is, some of it can sound good, but as it can kind of continues, it, it doesn't become very biblical. And a prophet must be right. If a person is coming to you and telling you these things, they must be right and accurate. Otherwise, what was the Old Testament reaction for a person who would give a false prophecy or false thing over a person? They would kill them. In fact, someone played a little video for me of one of these conferences where they were teaching in worship and, and teaching people to prophesy over people. And they say, hey, sometimes you'll be wrong. And, and it's okay when you're wrong, when you're saying a word over someone, say, I think the Lord is telling me this. And I'm like, no, it's not even like, uh, j- just don't worry about it. J- just, you know, just, just tell them, hey, I'm learning. I'm just growing in this gift. No, a prophet is right. We see that in the word of God. We see a, a prophet speaks truth from the word of God. And, and so be very, very careful of this. These are folks who say the Bible isn't enough. I want more of what God has given to us. And sadly, these messages start sounding so differently than God's word. And so be very careful. What's our reaction to all of this? What's the, uh, so first of all, the reality, there are many false teachers. Well, second of all, um, we have this, and it should say number two there, our reaction. Our reaction is engage with truth and with love. Look at what Paul says in verse 11 and 13. He says, they must be silent since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain what um, what they ought not to teach. And then verse 13, it says, therefore rebuke them sharply. 
False teaching and teachers must be engaged. They must be rebuked sharply and with the truth of God's word. So that they, what's the ultimate goal of it? So that you trump over them, so you destroy them? No. What does he say? So that they may be sound in the faith. Doing nothing is dangerous. Just saying, well, I'm just going to keep my mouth quiet. Just not going to say anything to that family member, to that friend, to that neighbor, to that person um, in in my life. Uh, One thing I must say that getting into arguments and debate and confronting someone on social media, not the smartest thing to do. Those battles are very rarely ever won and it actually causes a greater divide. But we we are to engage with truth and with love Paul says they're ruining households, meaning they were ruining households, but also ruining these churches that were meeting in households. You see, we are called to the ministry of reconciliation where we see God reconciling sinners to himself. We are all called to that ministry, but here we see we're also called to the ministry of rebuke, to rebuke others in love. And what's the reason for this? So that they would be won over. Verse 13, that's a key one, that they may be sound in the faith. Our goal is not to damn them. It's not to just simply warn them. Not to triumph over them with truth. My Bible is bigger than yours. I can out-Bible you. No, 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 no. And so they may come to understand and be sound in the faith. And sometimes people can fall into error simply out of ignorance over some influences or, or, or the way they were brought up or a church where, where they were attending. We are to be loving and gentle. And tell them you're getting off and kind of getting off the wall here in some areas and kindly, winsomely, lovingly Win them back, win them over with truth. Show them the areas of God's word where it doesn't line up. Do the study yourself. Make sure that you are studying, that you are learning, you're growing, so that what you're saying is not only loving, but it's also truthful from God's word. We are to be this loving people. James chapter 5, verse 19 and 20, a great verse there. It says, My brothers, if any one of you among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. It's a great word. This is why it's important that we need to know the word of God and overpower the false teaching of false influences with the loving teaching from the word of God. Folks, the word of God is our confidence. It is our strength. That's why studying the word is so important. That's why I encourage you, God time daily is so, so vital that we be people who not just devotionally study, just, just give me a word, just give me a word, just give me a word so that, you know, just give me strength for today, but to systematically and, and, and to carve out times in our daily schedules, we, we carve out times for so many other things, our entertainment, our exercise, our food, eating, our food preparation, our work, our leisure, our rest, all of this. Let's make sure we're carving out time to be people in the Word, studying, growing, learning, be challenged. Everyone should have a good, good um, study Bible, an ESV study Bible, great, great starting point. But then today, and we have these from our books, uh, book uh, table that we oftentimes have for sale, but we just limited it today. We have a great book on Bible doctrine that just helps to give great understanding to this. We have a smaller book that many of you have in your households. Our small groups went through this on Bible doctrine. If you don't have one of these, you can pick one of these up or even another one. This is from the ESV study Bible, the, the, the notes in the back. We've been given permission to, to use 
use this to copy this and, and um, just, again, some wonderful, great truths that we can just simply and quickly equip you with. And, and encourage you to do that. We need to have people in our lives who will hold us accountable, who will walk with us in this. This is where we need to know others and be known by others. Men, there's a great opportunity this summer for us to study uh, together through a book study, a number of books that, that can be studied together. But, but even more than that, to, to walk with one another, encourage, hold one another accountable, confess areas of struggle and areas of sin in our life so that we be built up and strong. And, and we need to be part of this sort of thing. This is what we desire to do and be as a church church because you, any of us can get off track in our thinking in our theology and what we're listening to what we have been influenced part we can be we can drift away and so we need to learn to discern and we need to have brothers and sisters like-minded walking with us strengthening us encouraging us confronting us in deepening relationships and so we have um, first of all, the reality and our reaction, we are to engage with love and tr truth. And then thirdly, what's the remedy? The pure and simple gospel is the remedy. This is the best remedy for false teaching, for false teachers, for us to be able to triumph in our own lives and in, 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 over sin and, and grow in our love for the Lord. Look at in verse 15, Paul says, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. What brings the purity into our lives? It's the gospel. What defiles us and gets us trapped up into false teaching, into areas of sin? It's a false gospel. It's a false gospel that says, hey, I can continue to live however I want because grace will forgive me. God's grace will forgive me and cover me. That's a greasy grace. That's, that's a cheap grace. We don't want to live like that. We want to be people who are discovering and growing, have discovered and are growing in the purity of the gospel. Knowing that Christ cleanses us from all of our sins. He cleanses us from the inside out. He makes us clean. He restores us. He covers over our sin. And when we Pursue him in that way, his love, his forgiveness. There's an inner purity that is produced on the inside that flows throughout our lives into our relationships. Now, this morning I called this, this message Watching Out and Looking In. And the first part is focused on watching out for false doctrine, false teaching, and, and be ready in love to confront and to be people who are growing in a love for God, growing in the gospel, being undone by his mercy and his grace on a daily basis so that we would be worshipers through the day, we would be humble, dependent servants of, 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 of God's. So we've been talking about watching out, but just want to end here this morning with the looking in part. You see, it's so good to be, you can have the theology police you may even feel like that, that God's given you some wisdom and discernment in that. And, and we're all to be examining the theology that we're hearing and seeing in the Bible truths and the influences and the practices, as well as not just coming into our own life or into our own homes, but also into the lives of those that we care about. But it's also important that we take a look into our own hearts. You see, in, in 1 Timothy 4.16, Paul says to Timothy, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on your teaching. 
Another translation, uh, I like it a little bit better how it says it, just a little more clarity, I believe. Watch your life and doctrine closely. You see, we can easily think we're kind of killing it when it comes to where we're at in our knowledge or, or in, in our theological beliefs. We, we believe we're grounded and we're in, in humility, just even pursuing truth in these areas and, and lovingly desiring to, to care for others who may um, be in some areas of false teaching. And we can be killing it in these areas. We can be killing it in a good way in our business, in our career, in our school. Even in our service for the Lord, we're committed, we're in. Maybe we're even involved in refuting and standing up to false teachers. And we can be just doing so well in, in these different areas, but on the inside, we're being killed. We can be so busy in life, so busy doing the work of God, that we ne- neglect the work of God in our own lives. This past retreat, when we went there, for Charlotte and I, it was very helpful, encouraging, insightful, rebuking. As we were there for that time together with other pastors and their wives, it was focusing on our own souls, our own souls as individuals, not even as pastors, but just as followers of Christ, on our marriages and on our family. And a key verse from that and a key verse how we're going to close things today is from Deuteronomy 4, verse 9. It'll be up on the screen there so you don't have to take the time to look at it, but I encourage you to write it down. It says, only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life. Make them known to your children and to your children's children. It's easy to get distracted. Distracted even by good things. Distracted by work. Distracted by sports, physical fitness, hobbies, enjoyments. Distracted by even our service for the Lord. And what is the instruction here? Take care. Be diligent. It's vital that we care for our own souls as well. That we keep our lives consistent with good and wholesome doctrine and teaching. We can have all the right words coming out of our mouths and yet be coming from such a deficit in our own hearts because we're struggling in areas of sinfulness or disobedience and and yet we have all the right words to be able to say. We were challenged in the area of soul rest. Not necessarily vacation. As soon as we hear that, oh, just, you know, sabbatical, break from something, quit, quit everything just so I can concentrate on my relationship with the Lord. Or else we think vacation, we're coming into vacation season. I trust that you have some wonderful vacation season planned this summer. But oftentimes, isn't it the truth that you return home from a vacation more tired than when you left? It's not a soul rest. But a soul rest is daily and weekly and monthly. Carving out times, rhythms in your life to get alone with God. Whether it be long walks as an individual with a spouse, with a friend, Praying together, talking together, reading God's word individually. As a couple, carving out this time, examining our hearts, our lives, repenting of areas of sin, admitting our weakness, our shortcomings, our failures before God, and a growing, deepening dependency on Christ. Because so oftentimes we can just start running on very low fuel. The fuel light is on and we just keep pressing in instead of taking that time daily 
It may, may mean making some changes in your daily schedule, getting up earlier, staying up, uh, carving certain things out of your life so that you can spend time with God. We can be so busy doing the work of God, we neglect that work of God in our lives. And we need to fight for this kind of thing. A healthy realignment in our lives needs to happen, I think, for so many of us. We don't take time to think or to, to you know, press in on these levels, but we need to. But a growing, deepening dependency upon God. You see, the fear of man is a snare. We think we still have to perform, right? We gotta, we gotta look the part. We gotta, we gotta be busy. We gotta be doing this, you know? And, and God says, no, take, take time for rest, the rest of your soul the rest of your soul, of your heart, of your mind, in the word of God, worshiping him, repenting, loving him, spending time in sweet adoration and love of our God. Let's pray together.